0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Sisters in Color, the podcast where we bring you amazing women of color from around the world who come on this platform to share their ideas, who they are, how they've made it in their career of choice, what drives them, what motivates them. And we're here to shed light on the amazing women of color who are in leadership positions around the globe. This evening, uh, this afternoon, I've got a fellow sister in color from the same country that I reign from, Zimbabwe, and her awesomeness is coming this morning. And her name is Wadzenay, Nenzo Welcome to Sisters in Color. Thank you, Christine. It's amazing to be on this podcast. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come in and sit and have a bit of a t- um a chat with us about who Wadzi is. So I might just start there because our audience doesn't know you. Who is Wadzi?
1: Ah oh God, who is Wadzi? Wadzi is a joyful type. I am a laugher and a smiler. <laughs> but um on a serious note, um I am, as you said, originally from Zimbabwe. And um, I've lived in Australia since 2001, so over 20 years now, which is crazy. I've worked in the financial services industry for 17 years uh, and above now. Um, and um, I currently run an online education company called Her Economics. Um, and I'm very passionate, extremely passionate about women, especially building their wealth without, you know, losing their money to scams. Um, And yes, I'm a lover of life. I enjoy life, enjoy traveling, enjoy spending time with loved ones, enjoy anime, just on (laughs) another level, enjoy TV shows, movies, eating out, music, so much. There's so much more about me, but we can get into that.
0: So before we get into where you are now, take us a little bit back. What do you remember of your upbringing in Zimbabwe? I'm a firm believer that a lot of who we are is incubated in those early childhood uh, years. And I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions around how we all grow up in African countries. So can you take us a little bit back to what was your childhood like in Zimbabwe?
1: Yeah, good question. And you're right. People have assumptions and they kind of think, you know, everyone comes from Zimbabwe or Africa and it's like one story, one single story, as um, Chimamanda would, would love to say. Um, so I actually grew up in a middle class um, family. Uh, my mom uh, was a nurse for 40 plus years. Uh, My dad was in insurance and, you know, he ended his career as a managing director um, and he worked in insurance all his life. So I grew up with three siblings. So I'm the second born. I've got an older brother. Then I come second. And then I've got two younger sisters. Um, And yeah, it was it was a good childhood. Um, You know, we we had kind of all the basic uh, needs met and uh, extra on top of that. So we did road trips as a family, you know, we uh, obviously went to visit my grandparents in the countryside a lot, both sides on holidays. Um, And my parents um, were big on education. So growing up, education was a big thing because they themselves had come from the countryside uh, and had gone up in economic and social class because of education. It had brought them up. So they were big on us children, educating ourselves and, you know, doing something with our lives and moving forward more than, you know, where they were able to go. Um, So I grew up with education being drummed into me in a big way. Um, But one thing, I was a very curious and observant child. um, And, you know, there's many things I love about Zimbabwe. But one thing I didn't love so much about Zimbabwe was kind of the uh, culture around men and women girls and boys um they were very clear you know men are like the leaders the heads of the families you know they they had you know given a lot more respect and women were kind of the the followers you know the submissive ones and so forth um so grew up around that and of course that's just generalizing because you always had you know different people like some women were very powerful uh, and so forth as well in that but on a general level it was very clear cut regarding men versus women and so forth so I saw as well, one thing that I did notice when I was very young is I would see, you know, female relatives trying to leave, let's say, abusive uh, relationships, um, but not being able to because they financially couldn't afford to leave the abusive husband or partner. Um, they were kind of forced to go back because they didn't, they didn't have the the kind of financial well-being or financial security to take care of themselves and their children. So the other relatives would be like, where do you think you're going? Go back to your husband. He's the one who's working. He's the one who's making money to take care of you. And they would go back. And even as a, as a kid, I, you know, I didn't really understand obviously everything that was going on. But even then, I remember thinking, oh God, like I would like to First of all, as a girl, as as a woman in the future, I'd like to be financially secure enough that I have choice in my relationships and in my life. And I also felt this passion of wanting to assist or help other women empower themselves as well financially. So that's where that seed kind of was, you know, was put in into me um, as a young girl as well. So that's kind of where that basic want of wanting to educate women and empower women came from.
0: And, you know, what's interesting about, you know, what you brought up in terms of how disempowered women feel, when I started working in the domestic and family violence space, um, in the policy space briefly, you know, it gave me, you know, a real exposure to a lot of the challenges and how economics and that, that dynamic plays in but what was interesting for me when it came to speaking to women from the multicultural community was you know the family's element and um you know like when you move overseas being dependent financially a lot of the times on the perpetrator and yeah. how that kept women um you know locked up in that in that situation uh for for a long time you talked a bit about road trips tell us what was your most memorable road trip with your with your family
1: Oh my god. I would have to say we went to Kadoma, which is like you know a city in uh, oh, I know where that is. <laughs> you do do you? I speak too. That's where I grew up. Fantastic. We went to this place called Kadoma Ranch. Yeah. I don't- you remember that place? I love that place. Yes. Oh my god! And I was by this stage, I was a teenager, so I think I was around seventeen. And it's actually funny because you're gonna love this story because I was about seventeen and we are going on a road trip. My dad was the best because he would—he's very musical, like I am. Like we love eclectic music. Grew up on all, with, uh, you know, the uh, LPs. Yes. Yeah. Stacks and stacks of them, Dolly Patton, even Australian music, ro- you know, Rolling Stones, whatever. And a lot of African music as well. Um, so on our trip though, at that time, he knew that we were into the Backstreet Boys and, you know, boy bands. So we would, he would slot on, you know, the, the boy band and Backstreet Boys and the girls, you know, me and my sisters would be like screaming the boy band songs on our way to the trip. So that was um, on the way to Cardinal Ranch. And then when we got there, the funniest thing about this and why it's always one of my favorite ones I think about is that I see this gorgeous young gentleman. Mm-hmm. He was hot. You know, when you're a 17 year old girl, you're like sweating and you're just excited about boys. Yeah. And he, he looked like he was a bit of a mixture. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure what the mixture was there, but there was definitely like black in him as well and probably white. And then I started talking to him. Guess where he was from? Australia?
0: Oh, oh, Aussie. <laughs>
1: and um yeah and we had a good time that weekend with Mr Aussie man I don't know where he is now he's probably a a father with children somewhere but that was a fun trip and we we just had such a ball
0: oh wow that is amazing so your destiny was foreshadowed at that (laughs) at that point in time I love that I didn't Um, even realize exactly yeah. So tell take us a bit about your your journey. How did you come to be in Australia 20 some 20 odd years ago?
1: Yeah, good and that's a very interesting story as well because I did very well in um in my uh, A levels which I think Australians would know as year 12. Mm-hmm. I did very well. Um I was one of the top students in my school and so my parents were like, "Okay, we were able and we, I was also privileged enough and lucky enough that my parents could afford to send me anywhere that mm-hmm. I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. So they said, you can go overseas, you've got the grades for it, you, you can apply anywhere. And I remember back then, a lot of uh, Zimbabwean kids who were lucky enough to go overseas were either going to the UK, mostly.
0: Of course, or- the mothership, we have to go back to the mothership. <laughs>
1: exactly, hey. And I actually love England, Funny enough, but yeah, yeah. they were going to the UK. And then they, um, they were also going to America, some of them. But I hadn't really heard much about people going to Australia. And of course, I grew up and I always make Australians laugh with this. I grew up watching a lot of Australian shows, whether it was Neighbours or other even more less known Australian shows. So I was curious about Australia. And I also wanted to be I mean, I'm a very adventurous person, Christine. Like I, I travel, I, I do all this stuff. So I wanted to go somewhere different to everyone else. And I found a lovely, a friend of mine then, she told me about a lady in Harare who was helping. She's actually an Australian lady who mm-hmm. was helping Zimbabwean uh, students get places in Australia. And we went, my parents and I went to her and um, we applied and I got, I think I got about three university places. One in funny enough at Griffith University. I got a place at Griffith. I got a place I think at Adelaide Uni. And I also got a place at Deakin University in Berwood Bur- in here in, in Melbourne. And then she was like, "You can choose wherever you want to go." I didn't really know much about Australian cities, Mm -hmm. so after reading, I think a prospectus or something, I I chose Deakin and came to Melbourne. And I'm very happy I did that. I love Melbourne.
0: So, just looking at where your career started, you started, um, according, you started working as a funds administrator. You started in that financial um, services uh, space. What made you pick finance as a discipline? Yeah,
1: so finance, I kind of picked it even before I came to Australia. So I've always been interested in money, (laughs) not in like, oh, my God, I want to be rich and everything, but just. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I also want to be rich, but it wasn't just that. I'm a very curious person, like, you know, um, I'm curious about how money is used in the world and how it impacts our life. Mm -hmm. And I guess I had always observed that, like I said to you, when I was growing up and seeing how, like, you know, not having um, financial security limited Mm -hmm. so many people. And so, yeah, so I always had that interest. So even when I was in my A-levels, I chose commercial subjects, so business subjects. And I knew that coming to do a degree, I was going to choose like a business type degree. So I chose a Bachelor of Commerce. Uh, That's what I did at Deakin. And then after Deakin, I did go to um, Swinburne and I did a Master's of Accounting there.
0: Excellent. Now, how have you found, so the financial services industry is very male dominated. So as a female making your way in there, what have you found have been some of the advantages and some of the challenges that you found early on in your career?
1: Yeah, I think to be honest, it's just what really helped me is just my personality. Mm -hmm. I'm someone who's very, I find it very easy to connect with anybody. And it doesn't matter who it is it could be you know a blue ma- a martian coming down from mars for all i care but i i just have that personality so that was an advantage for me because being a joyful you know happy type mm-hmm. i think definitely helped because then it doesn't matter even if you're going amongst where it's just men you mm-hmm. know if they see you as someone who's approachable Mm -hmm. Someone who doesn't have a front, you know? So one of the things that people over the years have said to me is like, how, because they've seen that I'm able to get along with pretty much anywhere in any situation, whether I'm the only female, whether Mm -hmm. I'm the only black person, whether, Mm -hmm. and they said, how do you do that? I actually have a philosophy around that. Yeah, I call it it the see-through connecting philosophy. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Yeah, see-through connecting philosophy. So my philosophy, and it's obviously, evolved over time. It, it's something I've always had, but it, I actually now know it's something that has really helped and shaped my life. So how I go about it, I go into a situation, whether it's a company or in this case, the industry, and it's made up of specific people. I just go in there and how I'm able to navigate it and how people are able to connect with me and therefore proper, prepare me forward is because of the see-through connecting. So I don't go in there saying, oh, look, they're all these men. I'm gonna put a free a wall. I'm angry that you know they're not enough women, I'm angry they're not enough black people. So I'm gonna give some attitude towards that. I'm gonna be, you know, openly hostile around that, or I'm going to judge them all and say they're all white men or they're all, you know, men, therefore make assumptions about them so what I've realized that when I went in with an open mind and just saw each individual as whoever they were I was able to connect with them and therefore when you're able to just um approach someone with an openness and without you know making assumptions about who they are because they're in a specific group or identity then it opens them up. Then they are more willing to, you know, to obviously connect with you because they don't feel judged for something they don't, you know, really have any say in. But also they're more open to any suggestions you might make. They're more open to having conversations with you. So for me, over the years, you know, a lot of people have asked me that question, or have you struggled? I really haven't. uh, very. I wouldn't say I struggled that much. And that's because I always had this, philosophy of saying you know what yeah fine I might be the only black person walking in here or the only white person but I'm going to connect with these people and they're going to see I'm I'm representing right they're going to see this this representation mm-hmm. of what someone who will come from my background you mm-hmm. know can bring to this organization and over the past 20 because I've been doing this for a long time I have seen the change in the industry it's mm-hmm. so much more diverse now mm-hmm. um, Because I, you know, I even think about my last, most recent job at Bendigo Bank, and it's probably one of the most, whether you want to call multiculturally diverse or even just um, viewpoint diversity, like there's so much diversity in financial services compared to when I started. So I've seen kind of the evolution. Um, Is everything perfect? No, nothing is ever perfect in this world. But I have seen the growth, especially here. I mean, I can't talk for everywhere in Australia. I can only talk about Melbourne, but Melbourne is already quite multicultural as well, which helps. Um, But yeah, so I've seen the evolution of that. But for me as well, just the the philosophy I've had of being able to just view individuals. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When individuals are viewed in an open minded way, they react to that and they connect with you on that level and you're able to go forward in a more constructive way.
0: Yeah, I agree with that connectivity. I love that see through, uh, see through connecting philosophy. I've written that. I'm going to yeah. quote that somewhere, but I have definitely written that, written that down. Um. So now you're on this journey of being an entrepreneur. You're on this journey of being an educator and really wanting to empower people to take control, uh, especially women, of yeah. financial wealth. Can you tell us what sparked that entrepreneurial spirit in you?
1: Sure. I think I've always had that spirit in me, but I think maybe starting probably in my 20s, I'll say mid-20s, I started doing all these random things, trying to start businesses. So this wasn't the first, you know, rodeo. I tried all sorts of things. I even did MLM. Do you know MLM? Like Oh, I've done a lot,
0: sis. (laughs) I'm with you. Yes, multi-level marketing. I learned a lot from them, though, about personal development, personal growth yes i learned a lot
1: as well to be honest especially about how to connect with people all this stuff and how to bring people along on kind of your you know your journey or yep. your mission and what you're trying to do um so i tried all sorts of things um and you know online like uh, what do you call it online shop uh selling like doing like a shop online tried all sorts of things and it didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work for me then is that I wasn't really passionate in any of those things. Like I really, it didn't really excite me or it's not, you know, it wasn't a purposeful kind of focus for me. Um. So when I was, when I turned 30, I re- remembered that deep-seated purpose I had as a little girl in Zimbabwe, when I thought, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be able to do something towards women, uh, especially Uh, to empower them, you know, to live their best life, you know, to to have that financial security and to have choices in their life. So I decided, you know what, I want to start some sort of business around educating women about finances. And so I came up with the name and I was thinking, what name? And I was trying different merges, hair and something, fee and something, you know, like just trying to to play on words. And then I came on the name Herconomics, Mm -hmm. which you hair and economics put together.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I remember when I when I thought of that, there was like a bit of a you know, like a tingle in my body. I'm like, this is it. This is the name. It felt right. Um, and that was actually late 2015, and it was me. Just um, I didn't really know Christine. And this is something I tell people when they come to me say, "Oh, I want to start something." People think that they have to know and have very clear plan and everything has to be perfectly in place before they take a step towards starting something Uh, I just had a name I had no idea what I was going to do I just knew I was passionate about something so all I did is I created like a Facebook page and I started you know sharing articles about women empowerment and money women and and so forth and from there I just people started to realize okay this is a focus for her this is a passion for her and because of that um, you know, in 2016, I started getting people asking me to speak at like ladies events, mm-hmm. talking about money and women and, you know, educating women and so forth. And then it evolved to me actually hosting events myself mm-hmm. uh, here in Melbourne. I would because um, I was working in financial services. So I had a lot of connections. I myself could host and actually educate women. But I also had a lot of amazing colleagues in my industry who were very passionate about women education as well and money so I got to do um money conversations on superannuation on property on you know retirement on investing on so many different things and that was amazing I love that and then COVID happened COVID changed my business in a in a good way uh, It accelerated it first of all um, and I was able to teach and create a course around the share market and the basics of the share market for women in, from t- 2020 onwards. And it was amazing just teaching them about the share market because so many women are all good learning about budgeting. But when it comes to investing, it's too scary for them. And yet, that's actually where the wealth is. That's where yeah. you build wealth through investing, not through your money sitting in a bank account but through investing of some sort. And so I wanted to give them that basic knowledge of the share market that so they can make up their own mind if they want to invest in that or not. It was purely education, no advice or anything, just telling them this is how the market works, this is how share investing works, and then for them deciding to, to actually get in there or not. And a lot of them, I'm proud to say, have started investing in the share market because of those courses, which is fantastic. And then it's evolved again to over that time when I was teaching ladies about the share markets, investment scams became a big thing. Mm -hmm. Women were falling for scams, were falling for losing their money to scams. And then I've started a big part of my um, business now is educating women, uh, especially, but people in general Mm -hmm. about investment scams so that they can actually invest their money without uh, getting ripped off.
0: Excellent, excellent. Now, just back to that investing and women, and I guess, y- you know, the audience can't see my reaction, but I understood what you were saying when it was like the <laughs> budgeting, not so scary, I can put my money in a savings account, the investment and understanding the share market. Now, there's a lot that I've been reading around how women do um, process uh, and spend their money, and how men process and invest their money. Do you find, and I know your clients are predominantly uh, females with her economics, but you've obviously been exposed to male investment throughout. Uh, do you find at a philosophical level, in terms of how men and women, that there's a gender difference in how we, in the lens that we apply to financial, um, financial investing, particularly, not so much budgeting, but financial investing in particular, And how do you think that's evolving over time with more women coming more into their own in terms of having money? Because to invest, you need to have a bit of money to, to put away. How do you see that changing as the, you know, as women are evolving and coming into their own in their careers? I love that
1: question. And yes, there is a gender difference on a general level or philosophical level. Um, There's actually been research uh, done on this funny enough, um, and it has confirmed exactly what you're thinking and what probably a lot of people would think. Generally speaking, uh, women are more cautious and more conservative than mm-hmm. men. On a general level, obviously, individuals some women are like gang ho and they're very you know high risk and everything. But generally speaking, most women are more cautious, which is one of the reasons as well why they are scared of even investing in the first place because they're they're thinking, oh my god, that's risky, and I you know I'm I'm not comfortable doing that. Whereas generally speaking, uh, a lot of men, they're willing to, to get into a higher risk investment because they know, because when it comes to investing, there's the whole risk uh, versus return situation where generally speaking, if you're wanting to get higher return, you have to be willing to have higher risk mm-hmm. and vice versa. So if you're like, like the example I gave, putting money in a bank account is very low risk And because of that, it also offers very low return over the long term and vice versa. Putting money into the share market is high risk, but also over the long term, the share market has outperformed the bank accounts twice, you know, many ways over, right? Uh, Times and times uh, over that. So you have to be willing if you're wanting high return to have a high risk situation. And many women are very conservative and are not comfortable with high risk, Mm -hmm. although one of the reasons for that is also culturally and this is culturally whether you look at the western situation or out you know in non-western countries because what you have to understand like what you're saying before women over the generations it's only very recently that women have actually started earning their own money mm-hmm. and being able to actually make their own decisions about mm-hmm. that money mm-hmm. so it's already been drummed into a lot of women and even women from nowadays because what happens is that we also see what happened with our own parents our own mothers mm-hmm. and then our grandmothers so we've got that example and for you know our mothers and for our grandmothers for most of us they weren't out there investing in the share market <laughs> they, they weren't. a lot of them were you know either they might have maybe made their own money but they were not thinking about, oh, I'm going to invest in this or invest in that, or I'm going to build wealth. A lot of them also had their husbands making those, those kind of investing decisions Mm -hmm. uh, or high level money decisions, as I like to say to them. So we haven't had that much time for us to have that kind of mindset around investing. So women have got kind of that to work with, whereas men of like, it's been centuries and centuries of men kind of knowing that they make those type of big money decisions. So it gives men kind of that confidence to try something like that. Whereas women, it's like, oh, we're just starting out, you know, really. And so there's a lot of um, lack of of confidence. Mm -hmm. So another thing, women as well, they kind of think, and this is something that's also different with men and women. When it comes to trying something that they're not sure about, men are willing to give it a go, even if they don't really know a hundred percent about this thing. Whereas oh, we, we, we need we, a PhD before we yes. <laughs> we want to tick every box and <laughs> to, know, to know everything. To just you know, it's just it's so funny. So unfortunately, when it comes to the world of let's say the share market, mm-hmm. what really plays a big part is how long you're actually in the market. So yeah. whilst women are, are getting their PhDs in the share yeah. market, which would take years, men start let's say five years before you do. And because of compound interests, mm-hmm. and of the time, they're well ahead of you whilst you're waiting for your PhD in share market education, you know, education, just <laughs> that. So that's another thing as well. Women kind of are hard on themselves. They mm-hmm. think that they need to be perfect. There's this perfectionism with women when it comes to investing as well, which mm-hmm. does that. But like you said, another thing you said, though, things are changing, which that's is fantastic, fantastic because first of all, they're changing because of the type of courses I've been doing, which is... Mm-hmm showcasing um what you call it um the fact that you don't have to have a PhD just learning the basics and Mm -hmm. then um deciding okay you know I can actually just make that first step so showing them that you don't have to be like Einstein you can just start and then Mm -hmm. learn as you go so those type of courses show them showing them that you know what you're all good you can start Mm -hmm. without knowing everything have helped but Mm -hmm. also there's just more talk about women and money you Mm -hmm. know not just myself there's so many people in my industry so many women and men um who are talking about women and money and also just um helping women just become more confident talking openly just talking about money in general I think there's been a huge campaign for that in the past in the past 10 years Mm -hmm. and you can see it because the biggest cohort of people who started um investing on the share market in COVID were women which was fantastic
0: excellent so the tide is starting to it is. Is starting to shift and it is starting to change you touched a little bit about um obviously we've talked about the gender aspect and you touched a little bit on on the cultural um on the cultural aspect in terms of you know women not necessarily coming from cultures where um you know they had their own money and could make uh could make decisions uh and that's changing and that's evolving and it's good to see that that is you know coming through in spaces like that share market in spaces like the property investing and and one important aspect that i think you touched on which I think hinges under all of this is the word confidence, right? Because the whole entire share market is underpinned by confidence, you know? If confidence gets lost and how critical confidence is. So, you know, when you're walking around as Wadzi, you're confident in who you are as a person. So when you walk into a room, you show up completely as yourself because you're confident in yourself. How do you think we can support more women? And, you know, this podcast is, directed at women and women of color. How can we support the community in terms of, you know, really coming together together? allies in building that level of confidence? Because I think once you start to build that, a lot of those risk-taking decisions, a lot of those things that you need to take for us to move forward as a cohort, um, you know, uh, those changes start to happen. What do you think we can do at that basic level to support one another, to build that confidence within our community?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So I'm a big believer in what builds confidence is taking a small step, doing something, right? Like you can, you can say, you know, all you want about, or you can even have hold workshops about building confidence in something, whether it's starting to invest or showing up in the room, like you said, you know, just building your confidence as a person. And that's fine. Like you can do all sorts of workshops around that. But I actually think very practical level kind of events or um, what do you call them, um, programs that actually push people to do certain things. So I'll give you an example. So I was part of the African leadership program that mm-hmm. was, that is done uh, here um, through the, um, what do you call it? The leadership Victoria and the Victorian government. So they have a program. This was started by um, uh, the ATT and, mm-hmm. um, African Think Tank, uh, which is an organization that is very big on advancing African Australians in Australia. And this program, what I loved about it is that it was trying to, obviously, it was a, I think you had 10 sessions like on the weekends where we would meet. So I was part of that cohort and had a lot of like young um, African Australians who were wanting to be leaders in in some form. And it brought us all together. But what it also did is that it linked us to someone from the mainstream Australian community, like people who were doing amazing things, whether it's you know uh, a university um uh, what do you call it um chancellor or someone in business, it connected us with connections that were going to absolutely expand our you know our community and the network that we have, which is actually very important in terms of you know first of all giving you opportunities in the future, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like. Programs which are practical in that way, that actually uh, allow you to experience, whether it's connecting with someone from outside your community, that gives you a bigger network, and because of that, you start to be put into certain situations. And of course, in the beginning, you'll be very, you might be unconfident and feel uncomfortable, but by doing this, by getting used to connecting with people from all over Australia, not just staying in your little, you know, where the Af- w- whatever country you're from, your little cliques, you know, not actually going anywhere, you want to Connect outside. So I feel like just practical programs where either they connect you with something or they assist you to start a little micro business. Mm -hmm. You you start something small and then you do something else and you get mentors who help you to do certain things. So I feel like doing something small, but actually practically taking an action is a first uh, kind of step that we can do in our kind of community programs to increase confidence. And I feel like confidence is something that, you know, there's some people who are lucky uh, and their personality, they're just confident people, right? They don't, it's not like it's perfect confidence, but let's be honest. There's some people who are just, even when they were, when they were babies, they were out there putting themselves out there. They just have that inherent confidence. Whereas most people, Um, and myself included, um, even though I, my personality is jovial and everything, my confidence is something that I've had to build a lot Mm -hmm. over, over my life. And it has been through steps, taking small steps that made me see, oh, I can do that. And taking the next step and the next, and Mm -hmm. then you link, and you're like, wow, okay. I am absolutely comfortable in any situation. You know, I just have that mindset now, but Mm -hmm. I think programs, like you're saying in the community, I believe that having practical programs where people can actually take small actions, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's buying that first share or whether it's you know taking that first step into a specific job market or something that shows them they can do it and then allows them, allows them to take the next step and so forth. Uh, but also importantly, I don't believe in these community programs that live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. You live in Australia or whatever country you're from, Try to connect with mainstream society and not just keep to yourselves and open up your world a lot more as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that interconnectivity, I think um, it's really, really important because one of the, the programs I'm working on in the background is how do you get people more out of their pockets? Because I focus a lot on migrant women. I do, you know, small business programs. I've done a few things nowhere near the scale. um. As, as yourself, because I don't have that financial services uh, background, but it's more around, for me, it's really around building that confidence just to have the courage to start. There is nothing unique or, you know, um, out there about even somebody like Oprah. She started from somewhere. And mm-hmm. I think once we get that and stop looking at where she is and looking at, because you don't get the behind the scenes, you know, uh, look at people's careers, the ups, the downs, the, you know, the building at night, um, which is what builds that confidence and that stamina over time uh, to be able to see yourself in the position that, you know, you're wanting to aspire to. So what does the future hold for WODZ? Where is WODZ going? What can we expect to see from you in the next five to 10 years? What's that trajectory look like for you? Wow, that's a good question. Making me, uh, putting me on the spot there,
1: Christine. <laughs> I have to think about what I'm going to do in five years. But um, no, because this year a big shift actually happened because I had my first t- uh, live TV um, ex- you know experience on ABC news breakfast which was amazing Mm -hmm. so on Australia Day I got to um, be interviewed uh, on the ABC News which was an amazing experience and um, I talked about investment scams because investment scams are absolutely killing people out there so many people are being absolutely devastated Um, and they're just trying they're just trying to build wealth for themselves for their families for their communities And they're getting absolutely devastated. So I talked about investment scams, especially right now when people are struggling with cost of living and so forth. They've just exploded and they exploded during COVID as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really important focus for me. So, I mean, it's just going to be me continuously educating people in general about investment scams uh, and trying to lower how many people because billions of dollars are lost every year to investment scams so i just want to play my part in educating as many people millions of people billions of people if possible um about how to you know to kind of yeah to risk or to minimize the risk of them losing money to investment scams and also empower them on the basics of investing as well so that they can make more constructive um, decisions around that because the world of investing can be very complicated so I want to try and simplify it as much as possible but also try to safeguard it for them as much as possible with the scam side of things. Mm-hmm. So the combination of, of things I'm going to be making sure that people have the basics uh, especially women the basics of what investing is and the investment products and so forth but also an important piece is trying to teach them as much as possible about investment scams so the next 5 years i mean i'm going to um continue what i've been doing which is educating speaking uh in on tv or in radio shows on podcasts mm-hmm. uh being a panelist um, I mean, one of the things I really want to do eventually is definitely being more on like TV land and just really like raising awareness on a, on a larger scale and also go, going globally around investment scams, especially because so many people are being, you know, are just losing everything worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, including in Africa and Zimbabwe and so forth. So going global with my investment scams education is one of the things that's going to be happening in the next five to 10 years. And also I do plan to eventually do a PhD around the subject. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. So that's in the next five to 10 years. So a big part of what is just pretty much continue what I'm doing, but on a, on a bigger scale, mm-hmm. on TV on radio and also just globally as well and continue educating people about investments and about investment scams and mm-hmm. amplifying that men- message as much as possible um. yeah, that's going to be me uh, in the next five to 10 years.
0: Excellent. And what does Wazi do for fun? Oh, my
1: God. Wazi loves fun. <laughs> I am, uh, as I say, a lot of people in my life and family members, if they are to hear this, they'll be yeah, like, yeah, Wazi definitely enjoys to enjoy I'm one of those people who I like to live life to the fullest. So one of the things I like to do got oh, so many things. I love travel. Mm-hmm. I'm a travel fanatic. I mean, my last trip, obviously, COVID kind of stopped that for a while my first um, overseas trip was last year. I mean, overseas trip after COVID was last yes. year In for my big 4-0 40th. Yes. I took myself
0: Welcome to, to the 40s. <laughs> I
1: know, 40 Club. I'm loving it so far. I took myself to Morocco last year. And my God, Morocco is beautiful. Everyone go to Morocco. Trust me on this. You won't regret it. Um, and so I love travel. I've traveled so many places and I just love it nearly well 20 countries now which is nothing for what I want to do because mm-hmm. that's a, a blip in the ocean of the world I want to travel everywhere
0: mm-hmm. I
1: also love uh, music uh, mm-hmm. thanks to my dad and he's and growing up with his uh, CD or LP collection mm-hmm. I'm very eclectic in my taste as well like I love old school you want to talk about oh when I say old school I mean like 1920s like Bessie Smith like blues American blues yeah all the way to some you know modern music as well but I'm on I'm an old soul when it comes to music so most of my favorites is people who are dead already <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'm a funny one um, I love music I love theater I love going to the theater to watch musicals or even non-musicals at the, at the theater um, and there's plenty of that in Melbourne uh, I love food trying nice you know eateries hanging out with friends reading uh, and uh, watching movies and tv shows and for when it comes to TV shows, last year I got into anime. I'm a total anime fan now, which is for people who don't know what that is, it's Japanese animation. I love it. Mm-hmm. But I also love period dramas and, you know, crime dramas and so forth as well. And just, you know, just hanging out with loved ones. That's nothing beats hanging out with your loved ones. I think that's one of the best things as well. Yeah. So that's just a bit of a mixture of the things I'm like, oh, podcasts. I love listening yeah. to podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Good old Christine here with a beautiful podcast. I love watching <laughs> love listening to them and also going to events with interesting thinkers, people mm-hmm. who make me think, um, and just, you know, uh listening to audiobooks as well. I enjoy that as well.
0: Excellent. Love it. So you've got a really broad range of of interests that oh, yes. that balance um the business acumen and oh, the my God. Yes. Oh, I need that it. for my sanity, Christine. <laughs> I mean. I can't be all serious talking
1: about investment scams all the time. I need to be able to enjoy my life and just, and I'm also one of those people because a lot of people hear me talk and they think I'm an extrovert, but mm-hmm. I'm actually an ambivert. Have you heard of an ambivert? Oh, I think I'm an ambivert too. <laughs> yeah, I am definitely an ambivert. So people are like, oh, you're always you, you're probably out socializing all the time. No, I'm actually not. Um, I'll give you an example. This um long, long weekend, Easter, I didn't see a single soul. I was just doing my own thing and I loved it. So mm. I'm, I equally love my own time, me time. And I do a lot of solo travel. I've traveled yep. a lot of places by myself and I love it. And I also love socializing with people. So I've got a nice balance there, which I
0: enjoy. Yeah, there's a, there's a travel blogger that I've started following called, she calls herself the passport abuser. You might oh. know her. Um, So she's traveled to like 60 countries on oh. her own. And she talks about how she started her, her first solo trip was she went, overseas with a bunch of friends and uh, I can't remember the whole story but there was some altercation and oh, they no. were stranded you know in the country by herself so oh, girlfriend no. had to figure her way and I think the boyfriend dumped her there's some story behind that but really that sparked her traveling on her own and now she's got this multi-million dollar travel business um you know she has moved um out of America she now lives uh, is it I want to say Haiti, I don't think it is, but she, she she's moved to um an island that she lives by herself because you know of a lot of the racial tensions and things that she's felt on the American continent. And she now takes women uh, and teaches women how to do solar travel safely. And what's interested me about the era that we're living in now, I think if you had told me when I was uh, 15, 16 at Watershed College in Zimbabwe that I would be doing the things that I'm doing, I didn't even think these were careers. Like, you know, I, I didn't even think the world was open in that in that way. But, you know, like you, I had this philosophy that I would live overseas. That was, you know, my thing. I was going, I was getting out. Chegudu yeah. is very tiny, if you've ever seen it. Uh, but I know Chegudu
1: very well, by the way, because my uncle um, and auntie lived there and we actually go on holidays
0: to Chegudu Oh my goodness, I really know your auntie and uncle because I've lived in all my all my life. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> probably if I tell my mom your surname, she might be my... By the way, you've got Makumbe. That's my mom's surname. Okay, that's that's my former married name, but my surname is Mudahanu. Ah, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. We, we never know. There might be connections there. It probably is. Well, my dad used to run the local bar. So yeah. Patime Bar on the, on the highway. So <laughs> most people may not know my name, but when I say the bar, oh, yes, yeah, Patsime. <laughs> I love I it. Not my surname. I love it. I
1: love it. Small so you world.
0: Know, it's a very small world. So you know when you've been on that trajectory that you you know you're kind of wanting to to get out of um out of your bubble, I think life opens up all of these opportunities um for you. So in that opening up, what would you say looking reflectively back at your younger self. I remember when I was doing my O-levels, Um, and for those who don't understand the Cambridge system, that's, you know, um, GCE, look it up, uh, ordinary level. I, I remember I wanted to be a genetic engineer. When I was doing my lower six, they were mapping the human genome. And I followed that project. I really, you know, I was so interested. And I did a podcast with a friend of mine, Maggie, who talks about women in STEM. And I said to her, you know, I didn't go down that path because I was, you know, too scared of maths and and all of that. But, you know, that really, really fascinated me. And it still does today. I read a lot of biology books and, you know, just keep abreast of what that's happening, even though it's not in my purview of my career. Reflectively looking back at who you wanted to be then as your 16-year-old self, uh, 15, around about that time, and looking at where you are now, what would you say to yourself? Oh, wow. <laughs> that is such a good thing. Um, you know what,
1: what I would say to myself is like, you don't have to know what you want to do. You don't have to have an idea. Don't be hard on yourself. Because I think one of the things that I found back then was I thought that I had to, make the right choice, choose the right subjects. I'm going to do in A, you know, A level, choose the right university. If I don't do this and I was freaking myself out, I thought I had to have things figured out at 15, 16, like seriously, I look at that now. And I laugh. No, you don't have to know just, I would say to myself, trial and error, trial and error, babe, be open to it. Try something. If it doesn't work out, try something else. It's not failure. It's 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 life. Mm-hmm. It's you. Uh, trying what you're curious about, seeing if it's going to work out. If it does, great. Just keep on going and seeing where that takes you. Be open to different um, experiences because I think there's this thing of even when people do a specific degree and uh, you know, you don't have to stay in that. Just because you've done that degree, something might happen in the future and it might you might pivot and do something else and that's perfectly okay. You still get something from that degree even if you don't use it in the way that you know society expects you to so I think for my younger self I'd be like just be open-minded just try things if they don't work out that's fine try something else and if it works out just you know let it unfold over time and grow with it and see what happens
0: Excellent. Now, where can people find you? How can people get in touch with you and follow what you're doing? And if women are wanting, you know, to connect with your programs around uh, advising into getting wealth, I know I want to get connected. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of mistakes I've made along the way. Uh, so I'm education, not advising. I don't advise a thing. I educate. Oh, sorry, education. Yes, <laughs> let's be clear. This is not advice. Sorry, you need to go see your financial advisor. Yes. Section there. Um, where can they get Educational resources that can empower them to go and make informed decisions or to go and consult a financial expert around what those journeys should be like. For
1: yeah, them. for sure. So they can connect with me on kind of a lot of the main social media. So whether it's Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, or Twitter, you just use the handle at her economics. So H-E-R-C-O-N-O-M-I-C-S. So her and then economics without the E, <laughs> put that together at her economics so if you say at her economics on whether it's on instagram on facebook on uh, linkedin you'll be able to find the the um business name but you can also look for me as well um i don't know if yeah kristin will have my name yeah. on her podcast with So all, you all can, those links <laughs> yes with all those links exactly so you'll be able to look for me on linkedin linkedin is a good um connection for me personally for my for what's an nine and so my personal page Mm-hmm. Um, and also you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook as well, if you want to do that. So, yeah. And also you can go to economics.com, my website as well. And that's where you'll be able to see, I've got a free investment scams course, a free mm-hmm. one. You don't have to pay for this course. It's just explaining what investment scams are, the basics of it. And then for those who want to learn about the share market, I've got share market courses, which are paid courses, uh, different price tiers mm-hmm. from as low as $49. And going up um, just learning the basics of the share market so you can find those on the website as well so hereconomics.com, you can find the free investment scams course or the paid uh, share market courses as well
0: excellent what's it it's been an absolute pleasure I love your energy love everything about you love everything that you're doing to educate us to become more empowered uh, particularly with regards to our financial wealth and really taking ownership of our destiny and our parts, I always firmly believe that, you know, when you're economically empowered as a woman, your decision making improves because you're now looking at life through a different, uh, a different lens. So I enjoy having conversations with women who are actually in that space of assisting women like myself to be able to, uh, to get to that space because um, we're all trying to figure out different, um, you know, we're all trying to figure to figure this out and we're all at different stages on our journey so to our listeners i would say you know log into her economics log into the work that Wazzy's doing i shamelessly sc- you know stalk her on linkedin you know because she- away guys stalk yeah. away no judgment
1: <laughs> but you know christine like you said it perfectly talking about personal account you know responsibility i'm very big on you know people just taking personal accountability personal responsibility for their own lives and taking steps to empower themselves uh, and also one of the biggest focus, why I'm so passionate about women is that I'm passionate about people in general.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a
1: lot of research that showcases that when you empower women, financially, mm-hmm. especially, it absolutely explodes to everyone else around them. Oh yes, yeah. their family, whether it's their community, whether yeah. it's the world. So I feel like women empowerment is a fantastic way to make a big difference in the world as a whole and to yeah. everyone, men, children, everyone.
0: Yeah, the whole microeconomics um, investment—you know, the you know investing in micro businesses and making micro loans—is really based on that philosophy, yeah. which is if you empower women. That actually makes a difference to the whole the whole community. So there is exactly. so much research. Um, out there and that's one of the reasons I'm extremely passionate about you know focusing on women leadership focusing on women getting into spaces where they have an impact and bring a different lens to the decision making table bring a different lens to the solutions um, that are being offered out there for women and we make up more than 50 percent of the population we're here we live longer you know I have a lot to offer we have have a lot lot to offer to the world and you know and i've always said why do we feel so intimidated by men we give birth to them like i don't and know i don't know that that kind of got lost in them and trust me a lot of men i know also ask the same
1: questions they're yeah. like i mean women snap out of it you're you're, you're amazing you know what
0: i mean yeah i so have to find the confidence in themselves as well and yes. that's really important definitely and i know people listening to this podcast will turn around and say well you know you guys have got you know you've reached this level of confidence this that and the other thing it's not so easy i am not discounting the challenges that women have had to uh to build themselves up that we have had uh you know as agenda that uh people have had from a race none of that is being uh is being discounted so don't troll we're having a conversation around you know building yourself up as to where you are and how yeah, you're starting wherever you are
1: because I believe and I've told you this Christian because yes regardless of all the things that have happened because yes there's been so many um, hard times and very struggles especially in the past but guess what regardless of that I know women are victors I don't care where you're coming from. I know you can do it. You know it. I know you can do it. So I have so much faith in women, in Black people. I know we're victors and we can do whatever we set our mind to.
0: Excellent. And that's a beautiful segue to end this amazing conversation. Wazi, thank you for bringing your A-game. Thanks for bringing your energy, your love, your passion uh, and everything to the podcast. Everybody who is listening will definitely benefit tune into her world, follow on her economics and get in touch and get connected with that wealth building side of yours. So until next time from me, Christine mudawanu your host here on Sisters in Colour, I'd like to thank our podcast uh, sponsors, Utana Global. And I'd like to thank you, our listeners for tuning in and listening. Uh, until next time, when we bring you another amazing woman uh, from around the globe and we delve deep into her world, um, it's goodbye for now.